His mercy is running after us. What a life that we get to live in Him. You may be seated. Come on, let's show our appreciation to our musicians this morning. What a blessing, hey? What a great blessing as they've ministered to us and as we together have ministered to the Lord. What an honor it is in these days to be together as God's people. Well, I trust you're ready to receive God's Word this morning. We're in this series that we've been looking at now for a number of weeks, Fresh Focus Thinking, and last week we started to look at Isaiah chapter 40, if you remember. And one of the things that we said that was at the heart of this chapter, Isaiah chapter 40, is a simple invitation. That's really at the core of this great chapter, a simple invitation that was given by God to His people. Invitation was uncomplicated, to the point, just containing three words. And it's found, we said, at the end of verse 9, which states very simply, Behold your God. And this was a loving appeal from God, calling His people again to think afresh about their God. Think afresh in their mind and in their hearts because they believed that God had forgotten them. They believed that God had abandoned them. But God had not forgotten His people, and God had certainly not abandoned them as they believed. His love remained the same for them. So, to correct their thinking, God through His Word was calling out to them to turn their mind's eye back on Him, to think and focus their minds afresh again on the living God. Because Judah's vision was caught up in worthless idols made of wood. And the idols that they worshipped looked very dazzling all covered with glistening gold. But at the core of these idols that were covered with gold and looked very ornate was dead wood. And as a result of trusting in these trendy, shiny idols, Judah was taken captive, taken from their homeland, Jerusalem, to Babylon, and there they lived for 70 years, all because they got distracted in their vision, all because they took their mind off God and placed it on these false gods that all of the nations were promising to give power and hope and help. The prophet Jeremiah had previously warned God's people about their idols in saying that they would become exactly like what they beheld. If they beheld worthless idols, they themselves would become worthless. Listen to how Jeremiah puts it 
in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. It's sobering to realize that we become like what we continually behold. Judah beheld worthless idols and became like them, worthless. And Jeremiah, the prophet, known as the weeping prophet, and he wept for his nation. He wept for his people because he saw as they beheld worthless things and became worthless, their lives eroded. And it had a perishing effect on their life experience and ultimately on their destiny. But God, God would not leave his people in, his, in their worthless state. God would not abandon them. God hadn't forgotten about them because it was through the mouth of Jeremiah that he also said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And even though they had been exiled thousands of miles away from their homeland, Jerusalem, to Babylon, the steadfast love of the Lord was still as real to them in a foreign land as it was in their homeland. Every morning, every day, great was his faithfulness and the renewing of his love towards them. God hadn't abandoned them and God certainly hadn't forgotten them. And he would not leave them in their worthless state. When God called out to Judah to behold your God in Isaiah chapter 40, he wasn't trying to dazzle them with some new flashy trick or demand their attention because he was self-obsessed and in need of desperate attention, like some TikToker or Instagrammer that's looking for likes and subscribers. God doesn't need followers. No, God called Judah to behold him because he wanted to restore their worth. He wanted to restore their value. He wanted to give the nation and the people of God their dignity back. And by looking to him and him alone, they would find their worth again and their purpose and their value. All of it would be restored. Turn in again to God's Word would correct and change their thinking about God and therefore change and correct their lives. Because God isn't who we think He is. God is who He says He is. And usually there's an enormous difference between what we think in our minds about God 
and who God has revealed himself to be in his word. So to help Judah think correctly, God presents a series of pictures about himself in Isaiah chapter 40 to help his people understand again who he is and what he's promised to do. Last week, we looked at the first picture of how God wanted Judah to behold him. He wanted them to see him as the God of reconciliation. He's not a God that just abandons and forgets and leaves his people to languish in their despair. No, he's a God of reconciliation, a God that steps into trouble, a God that's available at any moment in any crisis to come to our aid and help us and be reconciled to us. God wanted his people to see him as and to behold him as the God of reconciliation. Today, as we move on, we're going to see how other pictures develop in this great chapter as God again sought to capture the heart of His people and how He seeks to capture, encourage, and strengthen our hearts. Because what God says to His people, Judah, through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, He still says today to us, to each and every one of us. So the second picture of how God wanted Judah to behold him and how he wants us to see and understand him is as the God of reconstruction. The God of reconstruction, that's who he is. I'm so glad, I am so glad that our lives don't just stay the same. After we wreck, after we recon reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. There's an ongoing reconstruction of all of our lives that is taking place. And this is the picture that Isaiah sees next. This is the picture that he brings up before God's people to, assu to assure them that God had not abandoned them. It's a picture of reconstruction. And that's what God wanted His people to see Him as, to behold Him as, the God of reconstruction in their lives. Listen to the word picture that Isaiah gives us, and it's a picture of the reconstruction process that takes place as God steps into our lives and into our hearts and minds as He visits us and changes and transforms areas of our lives that seem so unlike Him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through to verse 5 says this, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, 
and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Any reader that would read these words can see immediately that this isn't just a picture of God just making a few small, minor improvements here and there in life. A little change here, a little change there. No, Isaiah's words and Isaiah's picture shows us that there's a huge change taking place. There's nothing small happening in this picture that Isaiah presents to God's people for them to behold God as the God of reconstruction. It's a scene of huge upheaval as the whole landscape changes. For Judah to understand the extent of the transformation that God was making, Isaiah, the prophet, takes up images of a desolate landscape to simply explain what God does when He sees the barren terrain of our hearts and our lives. Because it wasn't only that their glorious city, Jerusalem, lay in ruins and had been reduced to a pile of rubble, their very lives were in ruins. Their very lives had been discarded like rubble. But God's loving reach was going to reconstruct them from the inside out. And maybe at this point, after hearing and reading Isaiah's words, it's a right moment to ask ourselves a question. What areas of our lives can we see God reconstructed or at work in? Because there are four important stages in Isaiah's words that we've read that picture God's work of reconstruction that are relevant to all of our lives as we walk out this life, this new life that we have in Christ. When construction engineers build their roads or motorways, they use the same four stages that Isaiah mentioned thousands of years ago. The same four stages are practiced in constructing roads today as they were in Isaiah's time. Firstly, they have to be leveled out. All of the low valley points have to be brought up. Secondly, they have to bulldoze and blast through the high mountainous elevations that may obstruct and stand in their way. Then thirdly, they have to make the rough areas smooth for continuity. And then fourthly, the final stage, they have to make any crooked or twisted place straight 
and uniform. So in this beautiful symbolic language that Isaiah is using, this picture, he's saying that this is how God works when He comes into our lives. After we are reconciled to God in Christ, the next step is that He begins to change us, to reconstruct our lives for His glory, for His glory. Firstly, and as I go through these four stages in this second picture of God as the God of reconstruction, I guarantee you as you look back over your life, you'll see all of these stages at various times being outworked in your life. Firstly, Isaiah shows us that he lifts up every valley, or he exalts every valley along the way. Think about all of those low times, all of those low places in life, those seasons of discouragement, those times where you have felt crushed or defeated, when you've been in a long season of, of an emotional low. God's brought times of comfort and strength to you, to encourage you, and to bring that low valley up to a level place again. Or there could have been times of depression, a valley experience that you have not been able to level out, and God has come as deliverer as refuge, and He's brought you up out of that valley so that you've been able to go on with Him in another day into a new season of life. Our Father in heaven brings up the low valley areas of His life, and Isaiah sees it. He sees this low moment in Judah's history a moment that they could not get out of, a moment that they could not reverse, a moment that they could not undo by their own strength or by their, through their own power. They were captives 1,500 miles away from home being oppressed by a superpower. But Isaiah wants to turn their mind and turn their attention to the promise of God that He would exalt that low place and level it out and bring them through and take them on to new ground again. Then secondly, Isaiah sees God making every mountain and hill low. And of course, there are many times in all of our lives that God has to level those high, elevated mountains of pride. Those high, elevated mountains of arrogance or ego that we all have. He flattens and levels these mountains in our lives. 
that we may have built up unknowingly or knowingly for years, but by the patient power of the Holy Spirit, He brings even the high elevated places in our persons low. Do you remember the mountain peak of pride in Peter's life? It was so big that he couldn't see the top of it. Peter's mountainous pride spoke with such strength to Jesus. Everybody else might leave you. Everybody else might deny you. But I will die with you. That was his pride, his arrogance, and self-strength speaking. And he made his promise very publicly as he announced it to all there in that upper room on that last night. And yet, within hours, that mountain of pride was going to be leveled, leveled out and brought down very, very painfully. And there was no escape. Three cold denials where Peter cursed Jesus, flattened that mountain of self-strength and pride. And so we see how sometimes God even uses the very circumstances of our lives to level out those mountains of pride, arrogance, ego, and self-strength that may stand in His way. It's painful, is it not? It is. It's painful. But we understand and know from the Word of God, I believe it's Hebrews chapter 12, we're assured that God disciplines those that He loves. And if, we, if our lives are undisciplined, and if our lives haven't had the active hand of God in it, reconstructing it, we're just like illegitimate children not belonging to anyone, fatherless. But no, we are fathered by our heavenly Father, and His hand of reconstruction will not only elevate and exalt the low places of our life as He tenderly comes to comfort us and pastor us as a loving shepherd, a part of His flock, His loving hand of power will also demolish anything that stands in His way and in His progress of bringing your life to completely mirror the life of Jesus Christ. No, He'll pain painfully bring those mountains down 
and level them out. And not all at once either. This is a journey that lasts all the way until we step over the threshold of glory. So God, as Isaiah shows us, exalts the low places of our lives. He brings them up to a level plane. Those areas where we're wounded, those areas where we're hurt, those, those, those things that we carry from the past, that even at the, the mention of them or at the memory of them causes us pain, God, in His goodness and in His grace, levels the valleys. He also demolishes the mountains. And then, thirdly, also Isaiah pictures the Lord making all of the crooked places straight. It's an amazing story that illustrates this powerfully in the Gospels, and you can read it in your own time. I'll just refer to it today. A story of a crooked life being made straight. Do you remember Zacchaeus? There's a crooked man for you. Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And the Jews hated him because he was in league with the Romans. And chief tax collectors were notorious for being crooked, for being harsh and callous as they defrauded people in need of their money. They were merciless people. No compassion, just cold, hard-hearted they just wanted to extract and extort any form of finance from people, irrespective of the, their place in life, whether they were in need or whether they weren't. They would just turn up, take their money, and leave. And this is who Zacchaeus was. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief of them all. He was the motivator, the driver behind all of them that went out into the region. He was a notorious man that nobody liked, everybody hated. But one day, the waymaker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in our darkness turned up. And Zacchaeus is hiding up a tree, wanting to just get a glimpse of Jesus as he walked by. And Jesus, knowing that Zacchaeus was in that tree, turned to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm coming to your house today. Have some food with you. Amazing, isn't it, how, how different Jesus is from us? You know, if big preachers are going to turn up in a building, they're going to have their conferences. My God, they're going to be advertising what they can do. 
six months before they arrive in town. And this, that, and the other, and my goodness me, your life's going to be changed, and all of these empty promises they purport to be able to do, and they attract their masses. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, can we have some lunch together? How different the Son of God is from the sons of men. Come on, let's have a cup of tea. Zacchaeus comes down, maybe quite proud actually, in the right way, that Jesus has chosen him, the man that's rejected, the man that's hated, the man that's despised, the man that's done a lot of wrong things, the man that is crooked. Jesus says, come on, I'd like to spend a few hours with you so we can have some lunch together. Well, of course, this must have caused a ruckus in the crowd because everybody believed that Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, was beyond repair, was beyond restoration, was beyond hope. But just moments with Jesus, moments with Jesus, the crooked life of Zacchaeus became straight. Hallelujah. You can be battling with sin. You can be struggling with all kinds of moral issues and living outside of the Word of God. And your life is a crooked mess. Whether it's in your gender, whether it's in your morality, whether we're all in the in the same boat when it comes to needing God's intervention. You can be in a mess. Your life can be crooked. Jesus Christ can come in the power of His Spirit through the, through the power of His Word and make what's crooked straight. People look out on our land Christians look out on their land and they complain, oh, what's happening morally to the land? What's happening socially? What's And they're all, they're all very pressing, real issues that face us that we should be concerned about. But let us never forget, we stand in the presence under the heavens of one that can make the crooked straight. Hallelujah. He made the crooked straight. We don't know exactly what happened. As Jesus sat with Zacchaeus in his home and ate lunch. But by the end of the meal, Zacchaeus came out. A changed man. Announcing to everybody around that he would pay back fourfold, four times what he had extorted and extracted. All the money that he'd stolen, all the money that he had taken. Well, I'm sure there was a long queue outside of Zacchaeus' house for the, for the remaining weeks and months. But I'm telling you, this was a man now who had been made straight his, his former life had been crooked where he had extorted and extracted money from helpless people. 
But now, as a, as, a, as a man knowing the touch of God in his life, he was reformed. He was changed. And he paid back fourfold everything that he had taken. That's exactly what God's Spirit does in our lives. All of our devious, crooked ways. Anybody had some devious, crooked ways? Put your hand up. Even if it's slow. Hold on. I put, I put my two hands up. I'll put everything up that I can put up to acknowledge that I've had devious, crooked ways. But I tell you now, I'm in a process of change because of God's goodness, because of God's grace, because of His unconditional love towards me. And every crooked, every crooked devious way, He's ironing out. He's ironing out every wrinkle in our lives to make it straight. It's so good and so wonderful to acknowledge. It really is. He makes our crooked ways straight, and there's reform, there's reconstruction, new ways to live by, to love people now, to be generous with our lives. We're not trying to hold on to things. We're walking in the very words of Jesus where he said it's better to give than to receive. What is that? That's a, a life that's been made straight, realigned to God's purpose to be a blessing to others as you encounter them. And then as a final point within this picture, of us beholding God as the God of reconstruction. Isaiah shows us, fourthly, that he even transforms the rough places and makes them smooth. You know, when I used to work in engineering, as an apprentice, sometimes, you know, some of the tradesmen the night before would have had, and I kid you not, I mean, these were proper valleys, boys. I kid you not, some of them had had 15 pints, 18 pints, and even 22 pints, and then turned up for work. And I remember, you know, you walk into the, into the place where they're working, and one of the other tradesmen would come up to him and say, oh, boy, Looking rough this morning. Not only look, looking rough, I'm feeling rough, they'd say. Sometimes our, our life looks like a rough place. But not only does our God exalt the valleys, not only does He what was the next one? Not only does he level the mountains, not only does he 
make the crooked places straight, he also makes the rough places smooth. Those places that seem out of control, he steps into with his love. And the roughest of places he makes smooth. Think for a moment, and I'll just say this by reference. You can read about it in the Acts of the Apostles. Think for a moment of Saul of Tarsus. There was no rougher man than him. His sole purpose was to destroy the church. And that's what he lived actively to do. That was his drive, his ambition, and his goal to destroy the church of Jesus until, until Jesus, in all of his resurrected glory, appeared to him on the road to Damascus. A glory shone around him, Saul said later, brighter than the noonday sun, and threw this man to the floor. Not only was he thrown to the floor, he was blinded for three days. God works in wonderful ways. We can't put him in a box. And we can't reduce him to a little effigy that we hang on a key ring and carry around in our pocket. He doesn't have to obey our orders or do things in the way that we think they should be done. This man was thrown to the floor blinded for three days, greatly humbled. What was God doing? Making a rough place smooth. But this life, this rough life that God was making smooth would one day have the greatest revelation and understanding of Jesus Christ. This man who lay, on the, lay in the dust, blind, not knowing what had happened, would one day write over two-thirds of the New Testament and be a great apostle, a master builder of the church of Jesus Christ. What does it say to us? It says that no matter what condition a life is in, it's never beyond God's reconstructing power and love. Isaiah's picture to behold God as the God of reconstruction is a picture of the gospel because God loves to display His glory in reconstructing our lives. Everything that God has done through Jesus Christ our Lord in His death and His resurrection finds it's completion in you and me. It's a work of reconstruction, of 
new creation in our lives. And it's easy to see from the four stages of change that Isaiah puts before us that all areas of our lives are under the hand of God in a reconstructing way. God's goal for all of our character, all of our characters, is not our, not our comfort, but God's goal for all of our characters and all of our lives, as Isaiah shows us and as other writers through the New Testament and through the Word of God point out, is for our change and for our transformation and for our reconstruction to be conformed, to be conformed to the very image. And that word image is character. To, the, to be conformed to the very character of Christ Jesus. And that means change. That means reconstruction. That means God at work on a continual basis in all of our lives, whether it be through circumstances, whether it be through families, where, where family, whether it be through friends, whether it be through work colleagues, God uses all things to bring about good in our lives in relation to conforming us to His image. Paul, the apostle, started out life so rough and aggressively and violently that God changed and transformed, was the man who said in Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24, in the message version, says this, take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. And it was Paul, this man, that God had transformed and changed, who would later say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul's words were one and the same as Isaiah's picture in Isaiah chapter 40. It's a picture of new creation. It's a picture of transformation, a picture of God at work, the God of reconstruction at work in the life of His people. As we bring this to a close this morning, today, as I talked about those low valley depressions where we feel emotionally bankrupt in life, in need of God's help because every other form of help has failed. That might have struck a chord with you. 
in your heart. Maybe you've tried time and time again to maybe rid yourself of negative emotions and negative thoughts or feelings that cause you to plummet. And the harder you try, the worse it gets. God wants you to know today that He promises to exalt every valley in your life. It's not a magic wand experience. It may well take time. It may well take months or even years. But God has promised to exalt and to elevate every low valley experience in our lives. He lifts up every low point with His love. To reflect His glory and His life. Or there could be mountains of pride that you're aware of. And it hurts you to see the arrogance, the pride, the self-strength that you have. And people point it out to you. And they may have said that you need to deal with it. You need to sort it out. You need to change. But like any mountain, it's impossible to move it. But not to God. Not to God. He promises to level it. He will level the mountains of pride, the mountains of arrogance in our lives, and bring them low. No matter how painful it might be. I'd love to tell you, I would love to tell you, <laughs> that when those mountains come down, it's a painless experience. But I'd be lying. Because I don't know if I've had mountains. I may have had a couple of mountains. Probably had a couple of hills as well. As I look back and God's leveled them, and every one that He's leveled, it's been painful. But, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that those who have been disciplined by the Lord will harvest, listen, will harvest the peaceable fruit of righteousness as you're trained by it. Wonderful promise. Now, being a Christian isn't a painless experience. Being conformed molded, shaped, and squeezed into His image is often confusing and something that we don't understand. But when we look back in reflection and see what He has done, we say, God, You're good. That valley needed to come up. That mountain needed to come down. Thank you. Thank you.
Or it could be crooked areas of our character that need to be made straight or a rough place that needs to be made smooth. In all of this, our confidence is in the promise. Listen. Our confidence is in the promise that says, we are confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's begun the work, okay? He will perform the work, and he will continue that work on to completion until we see him for his glory. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to pray. Come on, let's give God thanks for his word this morning. Hallelujah. Today, you could be watching online. You could be here and you've listened to the word that I've spoken. And you realize you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know him as your savior. You might have heard about him, but you don't know him. I want to give you an opportunity right now just to quieten your heart. You know, you need Jesus, and he's here to meet you in your heart. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. That's the instruction that God's word gives you. Call on the name of the Lord, Jesus, and you shall be saved. You place your trust in him, and he does the rest. He does the rest. You need peace with God. You need peace with God. Well, Jesus has come to give you that peace. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago and was punished for your sin and my sin. He took the punishment so that we might go free, that we might be able to stand confidently before God, not on our own righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness, that we might have a living relationship with Him as we believe, place our trust in Him. I'm going to pray right now. And if you would like to ask Jesus Christ into your heart, Then pray with me, quietly. Repeat these words that I'm going to say. It's not a magic formula. It's just helping you to believe, place your trust in Him, and a miracle will take place. It really will. You will know Jesus as your Lord and your personal Savior this morning. Let's close our eyes a moment. We'll pray. Say these words after me, Lord Jesus, quietly in your heart, Lord Jesus, today I ask you to come into my heart. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that not only you died, but you rose from the dead. I don't know how you did that, but God rose you from the dead, that you're alive I ask you now to come into my heart. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for 
what you did on the cross, taking my sin and shame from me so that I might live this new life, this God life that you want to give me. I ask this now. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, a miracle has taken place through a simple prayer, not because I'm saying it, but because the Bible, God's Word, assures you that that is what, is, that is what has happened as a result of calling on His name. And you watch for the rest of this day and for the rest of your life. You have a walk with Him. You're not walking through this world on your own. You're walking through this world hand in hand with God through Jesus Christ. And even beyond this world, you have an assurance. When you pass from this world, when you step into eternity, you step into the everlasting presence and everlasting arms of God himself. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray for your people too in this place. Lord, thank you that you are the God of reconstruction. And we behold you as that in our lives as Judah did. Lord, we thank you that you take the, the valley areas of our life and you exalt them and bring them up. Those areas of pain and hurt and you level them out. Only you can do it. We can't possibly fill those valleys in, in our own strength. They're too deep, but you promised to do it. Thank you. Thank you, God. Lord, not only do you exalt the valleys in our lives, Lord, you take every other area of our lives and transform it. Lord, we want to thank you that you level the mountains of pride and arrogance and ego. You level them out. You make the the crooked places straight, the rough places smooth. And whatever stage we're at today in our walk with you, we thank you. Over it all, we have the help and the comfort and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in all of these things. Thank you that our lives go from glory to glory, from faith to faith, because you are in it. We give you praise and honor. And all God's people said, Thank you.